learn about someone, a lot of times you'll do one of two things or you'll do both of them. You'll, you'll spend time with that person, right? You'll, you'll try to get to know them by spending time with them. But then another thing that you often do is you'll ask people that are closest to them what they're like. Uh, like, for instance, when, when you're applying for a government job, a lot of times they'll call, they'll, they'll talk to you. You'll have a, you'll have a formal interview uh, in front of the person. But then you'll also, you will also uh, they'll, they'll call relatives, they'll call friends, they'll call families, they'll call coworkers, they'll call past employers, they'll call people that, that know you because they understand that who you're closest to is who's going to know you the best. Right? When I started dating my, my fiance, uh, her dad called everyone. Um, he, he called my pastor. He called my parents, uh, the FBI. Um, he called, no, I'm kidding, he didn't do that. But he, he, call, he calls people, why? Because, because when, when we're close to someone, that they know us the best. And so in Luke chapter 15, we get an insight into the heart of God from the person that knows him the best, Jesus Christ, his son. Right? Jesus spent eternity past with God. They're, this, they're the same person. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so the person that knows God the best is Jesus. And so we get an insight into God's heart. In Luke 15, it's really important that we understand. I want everybody to look at the first two verses in Luke 15. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured and said, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So it's really important that we understand who Jesus is talking to in this passage. See, what Jesus did is he, he, he taught a, a lot of people. And so in this passage, he's got a large group of people that he's teaching to. And so th- this group of people consisted of two different types of people. It consisted of the publicans and the sinners. These were the people that were the outcasts of society. Like, nobody liked them. Nobody cared. They were the evil people. Like, nobody wanted to... These were the people, like, if you're a mom, you told your kids to stay away from these people. I mean, they were wicked. They were vile. They were terrible people. And then on the other side, this is in the same group, Jesus is teaching to, to this group of people, but then on the other side, he's also got the Pharisees. And if you don't know what the Pharisees were, they were the group of religious people. They, 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 they were the pastors of their day. I mean, they, they were the best of the best when it came to religion. They followed Jewish law to the T and even added to it to make sure that they didn't break any laws. I mean, these people were the best. These were the people that, moms, you wanted your son to be like. And, and a lot of times in, in our Christian culture now, if you call somebody a Pharisee, like if I were to call Pastor Forsberg a Pharisee, he would be insulted, right? Because we, we equate that word with, with a hypocrite. But in, in this time, as, Jew, as Jesus is teaching to them, a Pharisee, if you were to call somebody a Pharisee, that would be a compliment. Like you were saying, you are the best of the best. And so these Pharisees, these people who were the best of the best, criticized Jesus because he was spending time with publicans and sinners. Because Jesus was spending time with the terrible people, with the, with the vile people. And so Jesus begins to tell three different stories. And most of us are pretty familiar with all three of them. First of all, he tells the story of the, the, the parable, or the earthly story with a heavenly meaning, the parable of the shepherd and the lost sheep. And, and he tells the story about how the shepherd had a hundred sheep, and when one of them went off on the wrong path, when one of them strayed away from the flock, the, the, the shepherd left the 99, and searched out for the one. And it's this beautiful picture of how God, when we were lost in sin, searched us out. Even though we hated him, and we were vile and wicked, and we ran from him, God still searched us out. It's a beautiful truth. And then we get to the second story, which is the parable of the woman with the ten pieces of silver. 
kind of, kind of the same idea. This, this story, this woman had ten pieces of silver, and she, she was in her house, and she lost one of them. And so she turned her house upside down, trying to figure out where this piece of silver was because it was so precious to her. And so we have these two stories about how God's unfailing love and about how he loves us so much that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he searched us out and saved us. It's this beautiful truth of God's love. And then we get to verse number 13. Sorry, verse number 11. This is my favorite story in Scripture. Mostly because because it describes my life in a lot of ways. I want to share that with you this morning. And we're going to ask this question, what is God really like? Because a lot of us, like the Pharisees, we feel like we have a pretty good handle on what God's heart is. We feel like we know God pretty well. But Jesus tells us what God's heart is like in these next verses. And so today I want to look at God's heart, the heart of a father, toward two different types of sons. The heart of a father toward two different types of sons. The first son that we see in this passage is the wandering son. So look with me in verse number 11. We're going to read a a chunk of this scripture. The Bible says this, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falleth to me. And he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in him. And he began to be in want. And he went and journeyed himself to the citizen of that country, and sent him, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks of the swine that did the swine did eat, and gave, and no man gave him, gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, "How many of how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish in hunger." I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, I have sinned against thee and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. See, in these first couple verses, we see the wandering son. See, the son, he comes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. And it's important that we understand what an inheritance was. An inheritance was something that the father would leave to his sons. It was a portion of what the father had earned throughout his lifetime. And that the father would leave this to his sons. And so what the son does is he goes to the father and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're dead to me. Give me my money. He's so disrespectful. He, he goes to his dad and literally says, Dad, I wish you were dead. And his father has worked his entire life to get everything that he has. I mean, he's got his farm, he's got his money, he's got everything. The son has done nothing for his entire life. And so now the son is demanding that the father give him his money, which isn't even his. It's so disrespectful. And actually, in Jewish culture, in the culture that that they lived in, this would have been deserving of death. Because in Jewish law, in Deuteronomy 21.18, it says this, it says, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which, is not, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall the father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him to the elders of the city, 
and, the gate, and, and, and unto the gates of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, Our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And the men of the city will stone him with stones. So what this father could have done, this boy is being rebellious, he's being disrespectful, and so what the father could have done is he could have taken him to the elders of the city, he could have said, my son is disrespectful, he's a terrible kid, and the elders of the city could have taken him out of the city gates, put him in a pit, and rolled boulders on top of him. That's how serious this crime was in Jewish culture. And a lot of, a lot of the teenagers in here, they're like, oh man, I was disrespectful to my dad last night, I hope he doesn't roll boulders on me. Right? But, but that's how it was in this culture. This is how terrible this disrespect was. And so, the father, this is what he could have done. But instead of severely disciplining his son, or even having him killed, the father does what he asks. The father just gives him the money. And, and, and the Pharisees, as they're listening to this story, they would have been that they would have been so upset because now this father, now that he did what his son asked him for, or asked him, now this father would have had to go and sell some of his goods in the city so that he could have enough money to give to his son. And then his son would have taken that money and left and done whatever he wanted to do. And this father, every time this father would have walked down the streets, he would have been ridiculed. Every time he walked down the streets, people would have whispered behind his back, like, oh, did you hear about what he did to his son? Like, did you hear what his son did to him? And he didn't do anything. He's a lazy father. He's a terrible father. He's awful. He's a reckless father. Like, I can't believe he would do that. And he would have been ridiculed, and it would have hurt him. And we, and we look at this story, and we're like, wow, like, that is terrible. But friends, I want to remind us that, that, we, that this is what we do to, to God. Every time that you choose yourself over him, every time you choose your pleasure over him, every time you choose sin over his word, this is what you're doing to God. You're smacking him in the face. You're saying, God, I don't care about your commandments. I don't care about your word. I don't care about your will. I don't care what you have to say. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. God, I wish you were dead. And that's harsh. It sounds terrible. None of us would ever say it. But it's what we do. And what's amazing about God is he doesn't stop us. But God has the power to, to destroy us in a second. Like he could sneeze and, and we'd all be dead. But he doesn't. He, he allows us to go and do whatever we want. Just like his father did. He allows us to go in sin. See, God didn't stop Adam and Eve from eating the fruit. God didn't stop Lot from moving into Sodom. God didn't stop Peter from denying him. And God is not going to stop you from doing whatever it is you want to do. He's going to let you go and watch whatever you want on your computer and think that your wife doesn't know. He's going to let you go and do the drugs. He's going to let you go and do whatever it is. He's going to let you go and take that drink, knowing in your mind what it's going to lead to. He's going to let you do it. But friend, it hurts him. Just like, just like it hurt his father. Your sin hurts. It grieves God. But look at verses number 14, and 16, 14 through 16. The Bible says, And when he had spent 
all. Spent everything. All of his father's hard-earned money, he spent it. There arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And when he and, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. See, he goes to this far country, and he spends everything his father worked for. Everything that his father gave him, he spends all of it. Like, he goes to Vegas and spends his money on every sin that you can think of. Every vile, wicked, terrible thing that you can think of, that's what this son did. He, he goes and spends his father's money on whatever he wanted to spend it on. But then, a family. Then, then, then all, all, that, all that sin, all the stuff that, that, that he spent all of his money on, all, all of the sin that he spent his father's hard-earned money on, all of a sudden doesn't seem as fun anymore. And friends, this is exactly where your sin is going to lead you. See, your sin, it's fun now. And the Bible even says in, in Hebrews, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the, sons of Pharaoh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of Israel than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, sin is fun for a while, and your sin, that sin that you love so much, that sin that every time you hear preaching, the Holy Spirit convicts you about, and you, you know you need to get it out of your life, that sin, while it may seem fun now, one day it's going to leave you just like this son, broke, empty, and, and torn apart. And I know it doesn't seem like that right now, but that's the truth that Jesus is trying to get across to these people, and it's the truth that he's trying to get across from us today. See, often our problems begin when we choose to do what we want to do. Our problems begin when we choose to do what we want to do. And a lot of us, we spend all week long chasing after the flesh, chasing after what we want to do. And then we come to church on Sunday and, and we, we act like we got it all together and we act like you know, we're good, we're fine. But, but on the inside, you know you are not living for Jesus. And friends, living a life like that is going to lead nowhere but destruction. So then, this famine hits, right? He doesn't know what to do. And just like many of us, he, he tries to, to figure it out on his own. He, he tries to, to figure out what he can do by himself. And so what the Bible says is he goes and joins himself to a citizen of that country. And, and uh, so he, he works for a farmer, but, but it's a pig farmer. And keep in mind, like, we look at pig farmer, we're like, oh, not a bad job. Like, okay, he's a farmer. But in Jewish culture, like, pigs were disgusting. They were gross. They were an unclean animal. Like, this was like a Minnesota Vikings fan going and working at the Green Bay Packers Stadium. Like, it was, it was unheard of, right? It was terrible. But that's what this man does. And the Pharisees are listening to this story, and they're like, I can just see them. They're laughing on the inside. They're like, this kid got exactly what he deserved. He was disrespectful to his father. And the Pharisees, they're all grinning. They're happy because they know that this kid is getting exactly what he deserves. And they're right. Like he is. He's getting exactly what they deserve. And the publicans and the sinners, they're listening to the story and they are depressed because they know that is exactly where they are. Their sin has left them broken and empty. Just like it's left many of us. Just like it left me. And so the Pharisees, they're listening to the story and they're like, there's no hope. Or the publican, sorry. They're listening to the story. There's, there's no hope. And then we get to verse number 17. 
this kid has this great, amazing idea. Look at verse number 17. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many, of my hi- how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the Pharisees are like, oh no, he did not. Like, you're going to be disrespectful to your dad like that, and then you're going to say, oh, maybe he'll receive me again. Maybe he'll let me work for him. You better not even step foot in your father's house again. Like, that, that's the Pharisees' attitude. That father, if, he, if that son comes back, that father is going to kill him. Like, he is going to have him stoned now because this son has the audacity to go back to his father after he's been living a life of wickedness. Yeah, he has the audacity to go back to his father. And you can see this son, like, rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. Have you ever done that? Like, rehearse what you're going to say to somebody? Like, you're about to have a really uncomfortable conversation, and you're like, okay, I'm going to say this, and then this. No, that's not good. That's not good. Okay, this, and then this, and I'm going to say that. No, 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 scratch that. No, okay, this. And that, that's what this son's doing. Because he says, you can see it in verse number 17, he's, or verse number 18, I will, arose, I will rise and go to my father's house and say unto him, like, this is what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against thee and before thee, or against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Like he's nervous. He's repeating what he's going to say. He's trying to figure out how he's going to approach his father. And a lot of us, this is how this is how we approach God. After we've been living a life of wickedness and sin, we go to God like God's going to be angry and upset and, and frustrated, and He's going to cast us out, and He's going to He's not going to accept us. And this is how we go to God. We approach God as if he's going to be angry and, and, and destroy us. We practice our prayers over and over again. And we think that we're going to go to God and he's going to say, nope, talk to him. Like, I don't want, I don't want to talk to you. Not, not today. Maybe go and make your life right first and then we'll talk. A lot of times that's, that's how we feel like God's going to say, but look at verse number 20. The most beautiful verse, I think, in this whole story. The Bible says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, to, uh, the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against thee, or against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. You see, this son, he goes to his father after living a life of sin, a life of wickedness, and he comes back to his father's house and he's repeating what he's going to say in his head. He's like, okay, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and and I'm no more worthy to be all thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. Father, I have sinned against heaven and again. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. He goes, and then he gets to his father. His father runs out. And and, and, and look at this too. The father, it doesn't say that he even makes it to the house. The father saw him a great way off. Like the father went on his front porch every day and was waiting for the day that his son would come home. And this is how God treats us when we're lost, or when we're in sin, when we're living away from him. He's sitting there and he misses you. And a lot of us don't get that. A lot of us don't understand. But God, just like this father, he misses you. 
He misses the fellowship that he used to have with you. And you know that, that you're living in sin, and he knows that that sin is slowly destroying you, and he loves you so much, but, and he, he wants you to see it. He wants you to come back to him because he knows that's what's good for you. And he sits, and he watches you in sin, and it hurts him, and he's waiting for you for the day. He's dreaming of the day that you will come back to him. That's what he wants. And so this son, he gets to his father, and he says, Father, I have sinned against thee, or against heaven, and, and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But he doesn't even make it to the part where he says, make me as one of thy hired servants. His father interrupts him. Like, his father doesn't want to make a deal with him. And a lot of us, we try to go to God, and we try to say, you know what, God, if you do this, if, if, if you get this problem out of my life, then, then I'll serve you. But that's not what God wants. God just wants you. And, and we see throughout Scripture that this is God's attitude. It's God's heart toward you. He loves you. Paul said, For I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Like no matter how far away you go, God is always waiting for you. And unlike any other relationship, in most relationships, like if Pastor Forsberg and I had a disagreement and I went farther and farther away from him, as soon as I'm ready to repent to go back to him, I have to make this long journey to get back to Pastor Forsberg. But that's not how God is because we can go as far this way as we want and as soon as we're ready to, turn, to repent, all we have to do is turn around. He's right there. This is God's attitude toward you. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means the moment that you are ready to repent of your sins, that means to turn from your sin and say, Jesus, I don't want to follow these things anymore. I want to follow you. I'm coming back to you. The moment you do that, he wipes away all your sins. Like they're done. He doesn't think about them anymore. The Bible says, for, I, this is God talking, he said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And the moment you are ready to repent and come back to Jesus. And some of you, you're, you're thinking in your mind, yeah, but I've been a Christian for a really long time and now I've wandered. I've got off the path. I've done things that, that you wouldn't even understand. And you're right, I don't understand, but God does and he wrote that verse anyway. Like no matter what you did, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer in Jesus, there is room for you at the cross. He will always receive you. Every single time. This is the heart of a father toward the wandering son. So the publicans and sinners, they hear this and they begin to celebrate because this father, he, he throws a party. Like he is happy that his son is home. He's rejoicing. He kills the fatted calf, the best animal that they had on their farm. They kill it and they eat it for dinner. Like this father is rejoicing and he's happy. And the publicans and the sinners, they're excited because they understand now that there is hope for them to have a relationship with God. But the Pharisees are disgusted. And they're sitting over here in their self-righteousness. They can't believe the story that Jesus is telling. They're angry. They're upset. They're frustrated. 
Like, how in the world could that father accept that son again? That is ridiculous. And a lot of times we end the story there. But I want to remind us today that that's not where the story is. Look at verse 20, verse 25. Story goes on. Now the elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, My brother is home, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. You see, this is the older brother. This is the brother. He never strayed away from you. He, he never broke one of the father's commandments. He, he never disobeyed what the father told him to. And even when we see him in verse 25, he's working in his father's field. Like he has worked for his father for his entire life. He's worked for him. He's been close to his father. He, he's worked for his father's house. He's helped around the house. He's been with his father for all these years. And now his brother comes home. Finally, after years. They had no idea if he was dead or if he's alive. They didn't have Facebook. They couldn't stalk him on Twitter. Right? They had no idea if this son was alive or if he was dead. And then his brother comes home. But if we look at his response, completely different from the father. See, the father is happy. The father is rejoicing. The father is excited. But look at verse 28. And he was angry. Completely opposite. His brother's been gone for years. They had no idea if he was dead or alive. And I understand sibling rivalry. Like, I have a brother. I get it. But there's no way this would have been my response. Like, this brother, he, he is bitter. He is upset. And his response to his brother coming home is separate from the father. Why? Because the brother, the older brother, had spent a lot of time in the father's house, but not a lot of time with the father's heart. See, if he had spent a lot of time with the father, if he had spent a lot of time getting to know his father's heart, they would have had the same reaction, but they didn't. I wonder if this has become some of us in this room. Like, we've spent a lot of time at the Father's house. We've spent a lot of time serving in ministry. We've spent a lot of time in the classroom teaching Sunday school. We've spent a lot of time doing things that, that are right, that are good. Like, I'm not, I'm not diminishing any of those things. All of those things are great and they're awesome, but we've spent so much time doing them that our entire life as a Christian has become a competition. Because that's what the older brother's attitude was. The older brother's attitude is, is I've spent so much time working for you, and, and he didn't. And some of us, we, we compare ourselves to everyone other than Jesus. Because the moment that we compare ourselves to Jesus, the moment that we compare ourselves to an almighty God, our attitude is going to be the same as Isaiah when he said, Woe is me, for I have a man of unclean lips. Like that was Isaiah's attitude when he saw God the Father, or when, when he saw Jesus. Well, when he saw God, his attitude was repentance. And we know that if we looked at Jesus and compared ourselves to him, we would be repentant. But rather than doing that, we compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves to the people that walk through the doors of the church. So my question to us today, 
Are you just close to the Father's house? Or are you close to the Father's heart? Because if you're close to the Father's heart, you're going to have the same attitude toward the sinful people that walk through those doors as the Father does. You see, the Bible says that if any man seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. What James says is, hey, if your religion doesn't change the way that you talk about other people, then your religion's fake. That sounds harsh. And we're like, wow, like that's serious. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says if, if your religion doesn't change the way that you view and speak of other people, then it's in vain. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth his brother whom he, or he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is so a lot of us think, like we feel, oh yeah, we're close to God, we're at church, we're we're in church every time the doors are open. But if you were to look at, at how you treat the people in your workplace, or if you were to look at how many times you've even given somebody a tract, tried to share the gospel with someone. See if if we're close to the Father's heart, then our response to others is going to be the same as the Father. But the brothers, his wasn't. It gives his, his reason for his anger in verse 29. The Bible says, and he answering, his father comes out, he puts his hand on his shoulder like, hey son, what's up? What's wrong? He said to his father, lo, these many years do I serve you. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet, not, thou never gavest me a kid that I might may, be, be married with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, and has killed for, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Like, Dad, I spent so much time working for you. I spent so much time doing all of these things. I spent so much time in the field working for you, and you gave me nothing. See, some of us, that's, that's our attitude toward God. We feel like we've spent so much time working for God that He deserves, or that we deserve something. We feel like we have grown in our spiritual life on our own. And we've forgotten that it's the same Spirit that saved you, that sanctifies you, that grows you. Friends, you didn't grow as a Christian on your own. When you become prideful in your growth, you begin to have this heart that says, yeah, yeah, I'll come, I'll come to church as long as they're not there. Yeah, yeah, I'll come as long as the rowdy kids aren't in the service. Yeah, you, you know, I won't talk about people behind their back unless, like, they're not wearing what I think they should wear to church. Yeah, 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 we'll be fine. Like, we'll all, we'll all be good in church as long as those bus kids don't come back because they're rowdy. It's not the heart of the father. Some of us, we've gotten so far from the Father's heart without even realizing. Because we feel like we're doing pretty good. But on the inside, your heart is hateful, it's prideful, and it's just as bad as the wanderings. If you're truly close to the Father, this is a good question to ask yourself. If you're truly close to the Father, 
do you respond to others like he would want you to respond to? If you're close to the Father's heart, you will treat others like he treats them. You'll love the people that he loves. You say, well, who does he love? Everyone. There's a younger brother and an older brother in every single one of us. There's a part of us that wants to get away from God's commandments. There's a part of us that, that, that doesn't want anything to do with God. And we want to go and we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And then there's also an older brother inside of us that wants everything that we do for God to be all about us and not about him. And there's that spirit in every single one of us. And I've lived on both extremes. I've lived the life of this, this prodigal son who didn't care about anything that God had to say. Did whatever I wanted to do. Every sin that you can think of, like that's what I was chasing after. Chased after myself, chased after money. And then I've lived on the other side where I thought everything that I was doing religiously was all about me. It was all about what I could do. It was performance-based sanctification. Not salvation, performance-based sanctification. Like, everything that I did as a Christian was because I did it, not because God did it through me. There's that spirit in every single one of us. And I want to warn you that God's heart toward both of those brothers, the Father's heart toward both of those brothers was the same. He wanted repentance. He wanted them to come to him, get close to his heart, and say, God, Forgive me for this. I'm going to follow you and not myself. Because that's what both of the brothers would do. Father, thank you for this truth. God, I, I know that this is a hard message for some people to hear. It's a hard message for me to hear. God, I pray that those in the congregation here at Bible Baptist will understand my heart. My heart isn't to be hateful. My heart isn't to be, isn't to criticize. My heart is, I don't want them, their, their hearts and their spirits to be destroyed. Father, help every single one of us if there's a hint of either brother in our lives. I pray that they would know your heart for them is to come to you in repentance. Not to feel guilty, not to feel bad. You're going to make them feel guilty before they come to you so that they will. But Lord, when they come to you and they ask forgiveness, all of that sin, is, it, you choose not to remember it anymore. And God, I thank you so much.